and and it's like okay I'm I'm finally up here and I look off into the distance and off in the distance I could see these three dots and I wasn't sure at first are they Sistrugi or you know there's just something out there or is that the South Pole station because there's a research center there Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Actually, I'm not the host today. This is a throwback episode, and Travis, uh, who used to be one of the hosts, he's actually hosting this episode. It's from 2017, and we're talking about fat biking to the South Pole. And and fat biking is just, you know, those bikes with really large tires uh, to be able to ride over difficult terrain. Um, A lot of different benefits to that. But in uh, one of those benefits is being able to ride on snow and on ice and uh, ride to the South Pole, which is pretty crazy. And Daniel Burton, who we're talking to today, was the first person to do that. He, he, it was a very first, which is really cool to think about and really cool to accomplish. And so e- even if you don't have aspirations to, to do an adventure on the ice or on the snow or in some sort of cold environment like this, uh, it's still the lessons are there. The principles are there of adventure and getting out there and being more adventurous uh, and doing something out of the box. Very excited to get into this episode, but before we do, I did want to give a shout out to Rerouted, the sponsor of today's episode. Rerouted is where where you go if you need to buy or sell used gear online. Um, this is outdoor gear, camping stuff, clothing, footwear, um, you know, all, all anything that has to do with adventure sports uh, that is used gear go through rerouted. So if you've got stuff in your closet that you don't use that you think someone could use, go to their website, rerouted.co. It's also in the show notes. Uh, and you'll be able to learn more there and how you can make some, you know, get some extra cash and help someone else go on an adventure or use it uh, to do that adventure sport. Or if you're looking to buy stuff, browse their website. They've got all kinds of stuff. And, and the beauty about it is you're keeping stuff out of landfills. Uh, you're saving a ton of money because I don't know if you've seen the price of just about anything right now. It's very expensive. So buy used as much as possible. And three, it's probably pretty unique, which I always love. You know, if I have a jacket or a shirt that I know probably, you know, no one else is ever going to have uh, just because I got it used, um, that, that's also pretty cool. So check out rerouted.co to see their selection and get ready for your next adventure. All right, here's the episode. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. Today on the line with me is Daniel Burton. This guy found himself in his early 40s and decided that uh, sitting down at a desk job and being a computer programmer might not be the best way to live out life and uh, and have the best of health. So he had a few checkups at the doctor, and it kind of sparked him into picking up mountain biking as a hobby. Ultimately, Daniel went on to ride some uh, uh, some pretty serious races uh, from Utah out into Jackson, Wyoming, and then ultimately had the, the big goal to ride his mountain bike from the coast of Antarctica to the South Pole, which is about 750 miles. So we're going to talk to Daniel and see what sparked all of this and uh, talk to him about his expedition and see how it all went. So first of all, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, so let's dive into it. Um, For starters, I alluded to health being a reason why you got into mountain biking. So tell me about that. Um, Obviously, you weren't riding at the time and something sparked you to get into taking up the hobby. So let me in on that. Yeah, they had one of those health fairs at work where they uh, drew blood for a cholesterol test and uh, they took my blood pressure and couldn't believe my blood pressure was so high and and uh, when the when the blood test came back, it showed I had uh, really bad cholesterol numbers, and so uh, yeah, I kind of panicked there for a bit. Yeah, I imagine you know a lot of us get get on with our daily lives and end up sitting down at, at desk jobs, and if you don't you know maintain an active lifestyle, you do uh, it might surprise you. You go to a doctor someday, and he's sitting there telling you, "Hey, get out and uh, and be active." So. Well, that's a good thing that it, it sparked this for you. So what made you pick up bike riding itself? I mean, why not something else? Um, you know, I needed to do something that I would enjoy. And and uh, I had done some mountain biking before, but not, not a lot. And there were people I worked with that were into mountain biking. 
And then also uh, my son's scout troop, uh, they decided to do uh, a 100-mile bike ride around uh, Canyonlands, uh, White Rim Trail. And, uh, and I volunteered to uh, go in and be one of the um, adult leaders for that. And uh, that's kind of – that was my first uh, big mountain bike ride. Oh, very cool. Yeah, White Rim Trail, that's on my list of, uh, of rides to do. How was that? It's awesome. Um, we like to do it uh, anymore um, about once a year – uh, close to the summer summer solstice, we uh, do a night ride where we'll go uh, full moon and just uh, ride the whole thing at night with uh, no lights, and it's it's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. Definitely a cool trip. Yeah, start at six six o'clock at night and finish about six o'clock in the morning. Well, out in Moab, that's a time to ride too. It, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. No doubt, a little cooler at night. So when you got into riding, um, you you said you had gone and, and helped support this uh, White Rim ride, but how active were you? I mean, was it just hobby riding or did you kind of get into to uh, races or at least long distance stuff in the in the beginning or just transition to that ultimately? I mostly I, I mostly just ride for the fun of it. Um, the races I've done are more that I do them just to see if I can finish them, not not because I'm competing for winning or anything mm-hmm. and so um just the guys i was riding with we were riding you know at least an hour a day um pretty much uh, six days a week and and uh, going from you know not very much to uh, doing that all the time it uh, <laughs> it killed me but uh you know it's really hard to keep up with these guys because they were really good mountain bikers and so doing that and then i started uh you know, doing these uh, 100 mile mountain bike races and uh, 200 mile road bike races so Okay. So let's go into or go back to um, you and your health, I guess. I mean, you weren't like sickly and, and dying or anything like that, but I think that a lot of people could probably relate to the situation. So go in a little bit more about kind of what point in life you were at. I mean, was it, we're talking a, a couple pounds overweight, you know, just felt like you needed to shed it or was it something that truly was uh, a serious issue? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a serious issue. My mom died a year before I went to uh, Antarctica from uh, from cholesterol, basically from from uh, heart issues, and and so it's you know something that uh, I I think eventually would would have killed me. I, I who knows? I mean, life is <laughs> you never know what's coming, but but you know I, I'm pretty sure that uh, my uh, biking uh, saved saved me from that. I was I was overweight. I wasn't like obese or anything, but I was. You know, I was overweight. I, I lost uh, like, I think like uh, 20, 25, 30 pounds. Okay. Um, and I really got into biking. So, you know, I was, I was um, enough that I had that much that I could lose. Um, and so I was, I was a little bit overweight and, and, and really just uh, the bad cholesterol number was high and the good cholesterol number was low. And, and, uh, and I just knew I had to do something about that. Yeah, right. Well, I think that, you know, I'm glad I asked that because like I said, I think a lot of people can identify with that. And there might be, you know, stories of people that are a hundred pounds overweight and, you know, a lot of people would think, well, there's just absolutely no way. Why bother trying? Um, But that's a little bit more extreme, you know, for people that, you know, have 15, 20, 25 pounds on them. uh, I think a lot of us find, find ourselves in that position, especially midlife. So it's, I love the story that you can bring that, basically explains that, Hey, you, you too can do this, you know, if you find yourself in this situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So the, I was looking, I was kind of researching you and the Latoha, is that how you pronounce it? What is it? Lodija. Lodija. I never would have guessed that. (laughs) Yeah. The people in, in Logan seem to call it Latoja. But uh, Lodija, because it's Logan to Jackson. Oh, duh. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I guess if had I thought about it, Logan to Jackson, it would make sense. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about what that ride is, because you did it quite a few times, I think. Yeah, it's kind of in this in Utah and kind of in the air, this area. It's the biggest, you know, the um, bike race that uh, ride that uh, everybody. Everybody wants to do so, you know. You, you drive around and you see the Lodija stickers on everybody's car that's done it because you know it's that big uh, um, accomplishment to be able to actually complete that that thing. So it's a 200 mile bi- bike race. It goes starts in Utah and ends at uh, um, Jackson Hole in uh, Wyoming. So um, right there, the Tetons, very beautiful. And this is a single day event. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of riding in one day. Now, how is the uh, the terrain? Is, I mean, is this yeah, just it, a road race? Yeah, it's it's a road race, um, but it's it goes over uh, three mountain passes, and so there's there's a lot of climbing in it. Uh, you know, it depends. Um, usually, some good headwinds in in places. Uh, um, you know, I, you you were usually starting really early in the morning, so you know. Um, before sunrise and, and a lot of times below freezing when you start, but then it can be, you know, like extremely hot by the middle of the day. And so, uh, <laughs> so it can be tough that way. I, I uh, tend to uh, have problems with it, with getting cramps in my legs from uh, trying to cycle in that uh, cold start. So yeah, it, it has a lot of fun challenges. Yeah. I imagine the, the temperature variations are, are wild too. I and mean, this is September time of year, right? Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, usually it's, it's cold enough in the morning, you need something on your legs and your arms, but, uh, by the time you, uh, are, you know, in the middle of the race, it's, you know, probably hot enough that you, uh, wish you could shed off everything you could, but they did have one year where it snowed on them uh, pretty bad. And they had to, uh, I think like more than half of the people in the race it was the year before I started half the people in the race had to be pulled off with uh, ambulances because they were all suffering from hypothermia because it was cold. No kidding. Yeah, that that and so that was that was the um, legendary year of how bad it was, and I started the year after. Fortunately, <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> okay, so you go from not riding at all to a little bit of riding to graduating into the the Logan to Jackson race, and eventually, at some point, you have this wild idea to go down to Antarctica, Antarctica, and ride from the coastline to the South Pole. So. I mean, most people don't have these kind of ideas. Usually I'd say I'm going to work up through for various long distance races and, you know, and I'll, I'll do that and see how I do. But you kind of made this, this grand leap to doing something like this. So what brings a thought like that on? Well, so I, I had a bike shop that, so after I, after I, I got laid off at uh, work, uh, my, my company, they moved all their, all the work out to India. And so I got laid off. And when I got lost, laid off, I decided to open up a bike sh store instead. So I could try to give back and help other people get the kind of health benefits from cycling that I got. And so, so I was doing that. And then, um, eventually uh these fat bikes uh be started becoming popular bikes with these five inch wide uh, tires and uh and so i uh when that when they really it was just kind of they were just starting to take off and so i decided to get a couple of them and and uh start uh renting them out so that we could bike really well during the winter not just you know not just a summer sport but make it a really good winter sport also and uh and that's when i learned about uh, eric larson and Eric Larson was, uh, he was attempting to be the first person to bike to the South Pole. So he started, he started the same place that I started and, uh, and biked. He made it uh, about a quarter of the way before he decided that he needed to turn around and he turned around and went back. But uh, as I looked at his expedition and, and stuff, it's like, you know, it took me quite a while studying and trying to figure out why he didn't make it because it seemed like it was working. It seemed like it was possible to do it. And so it kind of, kind of, um, built up from that, but, but yeah, yeah, I didn't, it wasn't something, you know, I had long-term desire to do this. It's just like, I found, I found out about Eric doing it. And then I had this other guy that come in my bike store all the time say, oh, we're going to win the lottery. And then, and then we'll be able to afford to go do this. And, and he kept talking about that. And, and at first I thought, yeah, no way, that's not something I would do. But, uh, eventually it just kind of, uh, clicked and, and it's like something that I, couldn't stand not doing if that made sense. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess that that's what I was going to ask is I don't want it to sound stupid, but what what made you think you could do this? I mean, that's this would be the first person you were the first person to conquer this. So, was it one of those was it a thought like, well, I will do this? Are you that type of person just that you know, when I set my mind to it, I will do this or were you just thinking you know what, I, somebody else has had the idea and has tried it. And you know what, I think I can actually get further than them. Well, um, once I decided I was going to do it, that, that I mean, that was, I mean, it was everything I, it was, I had to do it. And, and, uh, I studied a lot on, uh, different expeditions and, and, uh, I determined that if I was going to do it, I had to do it with the attitude that I was going to be successful. And so I, 
I uh, very purposefully um, only talked about being successful, and I got a little bit of uh, some nasty <laughs> comments on the on the internet as I was trying to uh, um, raise awareness so I could try to raise funds to be able to do this. And so as I was talking about it, uh, I got people that were, you know, kind of saying bad things to me because uh, of thinking I was being cocky or you know being overconfident and everything. But but it was something I was doing intentionally. Um, not because I was trying to be proud and, and you know, confident, co cocky about it, but I wanted to be confident about it. I didn't want, I, I had to make sure that if I was doing this, if, if I failed to make it to the South Pole, it wasn't because I quit. Right. And, and that, that was um, very important to me. So, so I made that uh, as a very conscious effort to, to uh, um, not talk about I'm going to try to do this, but that I was going to do it. Well, it makes complete sense. I mean, who's going to set their mind to riding to the South Pole, but talk as if they are, may or may not do it? I mean, you can't even do that to yourself. You couldn't afford it. I mean, if you even have a thought in your mind that you might not make it, then why bother starting in the first place, I would think? Yeah, it, it's it's um, harder than anybody can possibly imagine. Um, I think the only people that have any idea of how hard it is to uh, do an expedition to uh, and in Antarctica are people that have actually done it. I mean, it's it's incredibly difficult. And so, you know, I, I look and and I've I, I look at a you know read a lot of blogs from different expeditions and the ones that fail and the ones that succeed. And and uh, um, one of the problems that uh, seems to occur frequently with the ones that uh, fail are is before they go they are making contingency plans for fail failure. And and I just don't think you can do that. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I mean, the it's got to be, and you describe it, it's got to be extremely difficult physically. But I imagine the the mental aspect of it is got to be as hard or even harder than the physical aspect. Yeah, I um, you know, that's what that's what people say that uh, the that mentally it, it is is more difficult um, than uh, and, you know the mental aspect can be more difficult. Um, there's must be something wrong with me because, <laughs> because mentally, you know, some of those things like, I mean, you're alone. I was a hundred percent alone all by myself for, you know, 51 days and, and being alone is, is uh, a thing that is very difficult for people to, you know, do that. I mean, you can do that for, for a certain amount of time, but after a while that really starts to play with you mentally. And so I, I expected that to be a problem going into it. But uh, for me, for some reason that, I mean, I missed my family and I wanted to get back and be with my family, but, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the mental trial that I thought that way, but, but yeah, I think, uh, I think that, you know, this idea that, uh, you got to keep going was a mental challenge that uh, I think I just, you know, I worked really hard before I left to make sure I would be, uh, be ready to do it. Right. Right. I guess when I think of it, you know, I can do alone. Well, I like alone. I can handle that. But when I think of being alone out in the middle of Antarctica with, you know, the winds howling and nothing but snow and ice around you and the sun up all day long and, when I think of being alone out in those conditions, that's a completely different alone. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't think the sun being up 24 hours a day would be as much of a challenge for me as it was because I can sleep just about any time, any place. Um, I, I think I have a sleep disorder. But <laughs> but um, that that actually did cause problems for me. I, I don't know how much of it was just that it was all the sun was always up, and how much of it was you know just uh, if you get in that overtrained, over over exercising state, then then it becomes really hard to sleep also. And so the combination of the two and and uh, everything, I was I was having a hard time getting the sleep that I needed. Yeah, I'm sure I would have a problem myself. So let's talk about the planning and training. And this is not something to be taken lightly. Obviously, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. So uh, go into that a little bit for me, if you would. Yeah, well, fortunately, so there's one company that uh, if you're doing an expedition in Antarctica, there's one company that you go through to do that. Um, it's uh, Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions. And so it's everybody that's doing an expedition is working through them. They are, they are the company that makes it so that expeditions in Antarctica can happen. And so they've got a lot of experience with a lot of expeditions and stuff. But, you know, obviously they didn't have any, the only experience they had with the biking expedition was Eric Larson's. And so 
at least of this this type. And so so they there wasn't a lot of specific information for what you would need to uh, do this as far as biking. But, uh, you know, they had a lot of a lot of here's the gear and here's the stuff you need to do this if you're going to do it uh, on skis. And so I, I went from their uh, suggestion of here's here's what you need for skiing and and then just modified that for, you know, well, obviously I don't need ski boots. I don't need skis. I don't need, you know, these things. But instead I need, you know, and, and try to figure out what I need bike wise. And so so there was that as far as getting the right gear and everything. And then a lot of I did a lot of uh, reading. I mean, I studied every every uh, blog I could find out there of uh, people that had done something like that. And then beyond that, I mean, I was, you know, I was in a state uh, physically where I'm doing all these, uh, all these 200-mile uh, bike rides and 100-mile mountain bike rides and stuff like that. And so, so physically, I, I was in good enough shape that that, that wasn't a problem. Um, but uh, the one thing that I did need to do um, was get used to the fat bike because on a fat bike, the the pedals are further apart than on a normal bike just to make room for the wheels and everything. And so you've got a, a wider stance and, and just wanted to make sure that, you know, um, my joints and everything would be used to that, that change in bike. And so right. for, for that, uh, year before I left, um, I, I exclusively rode my fat bike. I didn't ride my road bike. I didn't ride my mountain bike. All I, all I rode was my fat bike and I rode it everywhere I could. Now, did you do a lot of winter training in Utah? Um, no, because when I decided, when, when the idea really took hold with me, I think was like in February, and and uh, and I left in November to go. So basically, I didn't have winter to, I mean, that was the end of winter by the time I decided I was going to do this. Um, and, and so I didn't have a winter to train with. I, you know, ideally that would be nice. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it would be nice to go off and go, go, you know, somewhere and, and train and stuff. But I right. knew that if I was going to do this, um, you know, Eric had done, had already tried. And so, so it's obvious somebody's going to try to do this. And so if I wanted to do this, I figured I had to do it, you know, that year. And so I didn't, I didn't think I had the, um, the luxury of having time to, uh, figure out when to do this. And so, so I just had to, you know, I, I had to do it then. Um, and then as you know, I mean, I've, I've been act, I was active all through the winter writing and, and doing stuff, uh, anyway. And so, but I just hadn't, didn't have a lot of uh, experience riding a fat bike, like in, uh, you know, conditions that I would find in Antarctica. Right. Right. Well, that adds an extra element of difficulty to it though. That's impressive. You didn't waste any time. Yeah. Well, and I didn't have any polar experience either. And, and there's a lot of things you need to know to uh, do a good uh, polar expedition. And fortunately, um, ALE, the, the expedition company, they actually uh, work out of Salt Lake and I live in, I live not far from there. And so they were able to uh, come to my bike store and, and spend, uh, uh, half a day with me going over and, and talking about all, all these different things and, and, uh, giving me some stuff and, and basically telling me, okay, this is what you got to do to be successful. And, uh, so I got a lot of good information from them. And, and like, like they said, you know, that the first few days are going to be, uh, a big learning curve. You gotta, you're going to, you know, it's on the job training. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So let's talk about your setup then. Now you did this alone, but it wasn't necessarily unsupported because you had food drops. But otherwise, you were out there by yourself. You had a bike and a sled, right? Yeah, I had I had my bike and I had two sleds I was pulling behind me, um, and and so that the sleds are are ones that are designed for that kind of thing. But they're they're basically kind of look like plastic sleds you might buy at uh, Walmart. And, and then I also had uh, panniers on my bike. And so Eric had done it uh, with panniers and no sled. And, and so I was looking at his, and, and one of the things when I was looking at his expedition, I was, one of the, the, the biggest, one of the biggest problems is the headwind. I mean, you're, you're looking at, um, you know, typically a 20 to 40 mile an hour headwind, um, as you're doing this. And so 
So those pannier bags uh, can be a lot of wind resistance. So my thought was that uh, by having it in a sled instead, that I could you know be a little bit lower and a little bit more out of the wind with uh, my with my gear and maybe go a little bit better. Um, I don't know if wind-wise if the sleds are really better than that or not. But I I had the panniers, I had the sleds, and I, I had the ability to uh, try a bunch of different things. So so those first you know, the first week or or so, I'm trying different things. I'm trying to put all my gear that I can in the panniers and leave the sleds real light, and that didn't work too good. I tried putting all the gear in one sled, and 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 so so I just tried different arrangements. And and what it after playing around with it uh, for a while, it uh, um, just became the the way that worked best for me was to uh, distribute weight into two sleds so that it would slide a little bit higher on the snow, you know, wouldn't sink into the snow as far much and uh, to keep as much weight off the bike as possible. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Now you talk about sinking in, into the snow. I'm trying to imagine, I think we all have an image in our head of what Antarctica might look like, um, which is probably completely wrong, at least in my case. So paint the picture for us. What conditions, what was the snow like, the wind like, the temperatures like? What was it like to be riding uh, to the South Pole? Yeah, it, it's really amazing. At the beginning, I, I, you start on, you know, I started on the coast or, or, you know, you wouldn't know that it's the coast. Where I started was actually on the ocean. And so, but the ocean's frozen there. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it's just white and then this pretty steep hill with mountains around. And so, so to start out with, it's kind of soft snow. It's, it's stuff that like, if you... It, at the beginning, I had to push a lot because it uh, it was um, uphill. It was pretty steep, and uh, and the snow was really soft, and so it was just hard to get enough traction and and uh, float to be able to make it up the hill. So I, that first uh, few days uh, was almost exclusively pushing the bike. I did ride, you know, whenever I could, but uh, those first few days is is mostly pushing. And so it's it's snow that like if you're walking in it, you're gonna sink in maybe a foot or two. Oh, um wow. and so so it's you know it's softer at the beginning, but but then as you get uh in inland, you know, in, in the interior a little bit more, um the sun as it goes around, it kind of turns that snow into ice. And so the later in the year you go, the the harder the conditions are and the better it is to to ride. Um, but uh, it also means you have less time to be able to finish it. So there's kind of a balance between how early do you go versus you know. And so so it's a bunch of different payoffs. But once you get once you get past the mountains that are there near the coast, um, the best I can say is it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, um, being out in the middle of the ocean. And and you have these big swells, and instead of being frozen, or instead of you know liquid swells, they're just frozen, and so it's it's just a lot of up and down and up and down, just over and over and over. But you know there may be like, oh, I probably guess like a, a mile or so between peaks of the swells, and so so it it was really cool um, riding back. Um, when you look back and you look in it, it looks a lot like when you're flying in a, in a plane and you look down and you just see that, you know, if you've ever flown in a, in a jet and you look down, and you just see the clouds when there is just complete cloud cover. And all you can see is the clouds and it looks kind of puffy. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's what Antarctica looks like from the air. Oh, and so it's just up and down and up and down. And so, so it's, as I'm riding at any time, I mean, you look in any direction and, and it looks like the edge of the world is like, you know, maybe a hundred yards off in any direction and you go a hundred yards in any direction and it's going to be the edge of the world and you could just chuck everything off and quit. But, but of course, you know, it, it just keeps going on and on and on. And so, so, uh, you know, um, a lot of, uh, just nothing but, uh, wide as far as, as far as you can see. Now, does the snow drift at all, uh, because of the winds or is it just a hard enough crust where it's just blowing across the surface and not really drifting? Yeah, it, it's drifting a lot, and so um, typically, uh, you know, about uh, oh, about three or four feet from the the ground to three or four feet up, there's just this this continual progression of of ice snow just just blowing to the north, you know, from the south to the north, and it's just like there's endless supply of uh, snow just headed headed north, and uh, and so at the um, 
when she it's when you start getting closer to the middle of Antarctica that it starts to you get to these drifts that start building up and and the drifts then as the sun goes around um, it'll harden up the snow in some places harder, you know, better than others just because of the angle of the sun. And then that wind keeps blowing through and carves away the stuff that doesn't get hard. And it makes what they call sestrugi. And, and they're like they're like snowdrifts, but they're carved away. And, and, and there's something that just doesn't exist except for in polar um, environments. And they're, they're pretty spectacular, really cool, amazing formations in them. And... Uh, and they, you know, it starts out uh, little, little ones, you know, a couple feet high, and and by the by the um, three quarters way point, they're uh, you know like ten, fifteen feet high. Okay, interesting. So the elevation gain, you started at sea level, so roughly zero feet, um, and up at the north, I mean the South Pole, it's ninety three hundred feet. So this is a continuous climb. Now, was it? Was it a lot of up and down to get there, or was it relatively kind of a slow climb out? Uh, it, it's it's up and down a lot, and so um, you know, it just constantly up and down for the most most of it. And so so the the amazing thing though is is it never felt like I was going. Well, there are a couple places that it felt like I was going down, but but for the most part, it's like you're going down, and it's like. Okay, I'm working this hard. I'm pushing this hard. There's no way this is downhill. But your GPS is giving you lower and lower numbers. It's like there's just no way, <laughs> and and it is. And so because you're going up and down, it's just that 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 headwind is so so uh, you know strong and and consistent that that even going downhill, um, it's just you know a hard push, a hard, a lot of work just to go downhill. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So what would you say your biggest surprise was after you got underway? Um, I don't know that I was really surprised by, by things. Um, I, you know, I, I knew, uh, I knew a lot of what was going to be there. I, I, there was a lot of things I had to learn. I had to learn how to, uh, adjust my, my coat and gear and stuff just right to, uh, be able to, continue moving on. I don't know. I don't know if there's a big surprise that way. Um, maybe, maybe it was, uh, um, after the first few days, um, maybe a week or so of, of going, it, uh, was looking at the numbers, very obvious that I was not going to make it because I was getting maybe five to seven miles a day and, and it's a hundred or 750 miles. So, you know, you can, you can see it's going to take over 100 days, and I only had around 50 days available. And so so it's pretty obvious I wasn't going to make it. And I talked to my wife and said, you know, I had a satellite phone, so I called her up, and I, I told her, I, I just, I'm not going to make it. Right? You know, it's not going to happen. But I had determined before I left that uh, I was going to keep going no matter what. And so even though I, I got to the point that it's like, you know, the numbers just show I'm not going to make it, I decided, you know, I'm going to keep going, and my wife agreed. And, uh, and then amazingly, um, <laughs> the, the snow got harder and, and, uh, and conditions, you know, improved to where, where, uh, I could, you know, the, it, it had been to the point at the beginning, it was such that, uh, I would be pedaling. I could, um, work my way through, through some soft stuff. And then eventually I'd hit something that's get me stopped. And so I'd be getting, you know, like, 100 or 200 feet at a time and then have to get off push out of the soft stuff and, and then go again and it's just that over and over and over and, and then eventually it got you know it's just like in a matter of a couple of days got to where i could you know um bike from getting you know 200 yards to to uh, to where eventually i was getting like a mile at a time and, and then i started eventually getting to where I, after i'd get to that i'd get to where i'd go like a, an hour at a time and then i would stop and get something to eat and drink and then uh, and then continue on so that was kind of my routine was was to uh bike for an hour eat and drink and then go again and do that uh, all day for uh, about 13 hours a day yeah i can imagine that's got to be disheartening to uh to deal with that foot deep snow and have to trudge through that just thinking how long is this going to last i mean you probably had a, a decent awareness that things would get better at some point because the interior and the research you had done um 
But yeah, just to sit there and wonder how long it's going to take uh, based on the, the travel that you've done in the last few days, that's got to be tough to deal with. Yeah. And, and it didn't, you know, when I, at where I thought it would start getting better, it didn't get better there. It got better, you know, several days after. And so, so yeah, I, and so that may have been the surprise. It's like all of a sudden it's like, I'm getting the distances I need. You know, when I started getting 15 miles a day and you start doing the calculations and stuff, okay. It's like, now I'm going to, I'm at a pace that I can make it. And so, so that was a, that was a, a big thing for me is when I started consistently getting 15 miles a day and I, and, uh, and that realization that yes, I'm going to make it, this is going to work. I'm going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. That'll pick the spirits up. Now you had yeah, to deal yeah. with crevasses too out there, right? Yeah. Well, so, um, the ice in Antarctica is all moving. And anytime the ice is moving and, and it goes over cracks or it's moving at different rates, you're going to, you're going to create uh, crevasses. And so, um, they, the, the Antarctic ALE, they had, uh, used uh, ground penetrating radar to, uh, determine where the, where most of the crevasse, you know, the big crevasses are. And so, so with the route that we had planned, um, you know, went around a couple of places where there were some uh, big crevasses. And so, so there was always that, um, right at the beginning of the thing as you're coming up out of, off the coast. And so the ice is coming over the mountains and, and kind of going over that slope. It's a big place for crevasses to open up. And, uh, and I, I was uh, pushing my bike at that point and, uh, I stepped down and, and my, uh, leg sunk into a, a crevasse, and uh, the interesting thing about it was that uh, another guy who I actually saw, he was coming, he was headed north as I was headed south. And, I, and so I, he'd, we'd cross paths and, and talked for a couple minutes just uh, hours before. And, and you could see his ski tracks um, go right over that crevasse that uh, since he was on skis, he was safe. But uh, being off and pushing on the bike was uh, um, a lot more dangerous because uh, I stepped in that, in that crevasse, uh, you know, I fell in. Yeah, I imagine that'll uh, make for a spooky moment because you don't know how how that crevasse is. I mean, is it something they didn't catch or is it something that just started to form? You know, am I going to go all the way through? So so yeah, what happened? Yeah, you stepped in the crack. everywhere. I yeah. mean, there's there's just I mean, I, I know I went over thousands of crevasses, most of them small enough that uh, they're, you know, not a, not an issue. And and I know I went over one snow bridge that I didn't realize was a snow bridge until after I got over it and looked back and it's like, <laughs> ooh, you know, if I'd fallen through that one, that would have been, that would have been uh, pretty nasty. Oh, man. So you fell through the crack and I think you went up about halfway. Yeah, well, your hip. Uh, I just fell, yeah, just one leg fell in and I just pulled myself out, used my bike, pulled myself up and out and, uh, and moved on past it and and because you can tell um good solid ice in a lot of places because the wind blowing the snow off you'll get uh, um, a blue ice and so i could see some blue ice ahead of where where it was and i just moved over onto that to where it would be safe and then i looked back and i thought it would be really cool to get a picture um down the hole and see how big it was but I was afraid to get close enough to uh, do that because I didn't want to be uh, in there for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Not a picture worth taking. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I don't have a good picture of it. I have kind of a lame picture of it, but uh, I, I didn't get a good picture of it because, you know, I, I just was not going to get close enough to, I mean, it's just not worth the risk. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Um, so you had, tell me about the, the food or supply drops. How did that work? Yeah, so um, I had I had scheduled uh, three food drops, and so basically what they would do is they'd fly in, um, take the take the food, dig a hole, bury it, and and then put a, a flag on it, a black flag on it, and then they'd give me the GPS coordinates, and then I go play geocaching for life. Yeah, <laughs> that's the uh, most important geocache you ever find, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and so so, but you know, it's actually pretty easy because you've got the coordinates, and there's like you know white forever, and you get this black flag sticking out, so it's you know pretty easy geocache to find. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so they they they'd fly and bury it and and uh, and leave the food for me, and so so that made it so I could uh, reduce the amount of weight I had to carry with me um, because the food is a large amount of the weight that you're you're carrying. Right, right. 
Well, let's talk about weight. I think a lot of people, um, when they start out on something, unless they have a lot of experience in it, often take too many things. And I think that you had a little bit of, of that yourself. I think you realized at a point you had more things than you really needed, but it's interesting that you actually took some things off of your bike to save more weight. So tell me about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And so um, I had I had some rechargeable batteries that just weren't recharging because at minus 40, um, the chemistry just doesn't work well. So it's really hard to charge batteries when it's that cold. And so I had some extra batteries. I had, um, I had, I had more food than I was eating. I didn't have more food than I needed. I had about the right amount of food for what I needed to do, but I was just working so hard during the day and, and, uh, and then at night, just how much I could eat. I just had a hard time eating all the food I had. And then, um, on the bike, I had some water bottle cages on the bike. I had brakes on my bike. I had, um, you know, my, my panniers and my rack. And, and so I decided I didn't need my pannier and my, and my rack for the panniers. And, and I didn't need the brakes because I'm going uphill in, into a headwind. So the brakes, you know, the only thing the brakes were really doing much good for me, uh, was, uh, helping me get started, which I know that sounds weird, but, but it helps, it helps to hold the brakes as you, as you try to get started. And, and then, you know, occasionally, occasionally, uh, you know, in a whiteout, in a whiteout, uh, you can't see anything. You can't even see I, a good example is I was setting up my tent up once during whiteout and, uh, and there was a snow drift that was right next to my tent that I was setting it up. And I tripped over that snow drift like a dozen times trying to set up the tent because you just can't see it. Right. And so you couldn't see anything in a whiteout. And so then the scary part is that with is with the sistrugi, you're, you're going along and there could be, you know, um, this four, four to six foot drop and, and you can't see it coming. Mm. And so, so in a whiteout, um, you know, <laughs> you get you get to the edge of that uh, that sistrugi and all of a sudden there it is. And, and you're going to fall off this this uh, big drop. And, and at that point, having breaks uh, could have been helpful. <laughs> but but I at the halfway point, I took off my brakes. I took off. Uh, um, the big chain ring on the front gear, because the only gear I'm really using is my lowest gear available. Um, I, uh, took off the bottle cages. I took off, uh, any bolts that are used for bottle cages. I took everything off my bike. I could. And, uh, and at the halfway point when they're flying to the South pole to do support and stuff, when they fly to the halfway point, they stop and they refuel and then they, then they go again. So they have a, have a runway there and, 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 and fuel depot and, and stuff. And so when I got there, I could take all the stuff off that I didn't want and, and all the things that I had in my gear that I decided I really didn't need and pack that in and, and, uh, leave it there for them to pick up and take back so that I didn't have to take it the rest of the way. And also all the garbage from, from my food. Cause you know, you, you can't leave any, you can't, you can't leave any garbage behind, you know, you got to take it all with you. And so, so at the halfway point, I could get rid of, uh, that first half, half, all the garbage from that first half. So that was nice too. Yeah. They may drop the food off for you, but they don't put garbage cans out for you, huh? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But you got to take, yeah, take everything out that you bring in. Um, you know, don't want to, don't want to <laughs> pollute the environment. Yeah, no doubt. I think I know what your best moment is of this expedition, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But what would you say is the was the most difficult or the worst moment? Um, you know, I I think that that day that I called my wife and and uh, told her that I wasn't going to make it. I think that was pretty difficult, pretty pretty hard to look and say, you know, am I a failure? I I didn't make it. You know, that 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 was pretty difficult uh, when it seemed pretty obvious that I, there was no way I was going to make it. And, and, you know, it's like, come on, can I be successful at something? And, and it's like, that, that, that was, uh, that was difficult. Um, but, uh, the, the one that's kind of strange to me is, uh, my last cash was at about, so it'd be 87 and a half degrees. So, so three quarters of the way there. And, uh, and that last cash, um, when they uh, when they they can't just land anywhere. They have to land somewhere where the snow is smooth enough and whatever that they can actually land this plane, right? And so so they found this ridge to land on, and they land on the ridge and and, and set it there, and then they give me the coordinates. And the, and this is at at one of those spots where there are a bunch of crevasses, 
And so kind of a dangerous spot that uh, um, I'm headed off to the west instead of going straight south. I'm going west for a ways and then and then turn back to the east to get back on track. And and uh, and so it's, you know, there's this kind of this triangle that I'm going going around instead of going straight. And and uh, when they gave me the coordinates, I write it down and stuff and, and, and they say, OK, and when you get there and then the phone line dropped out. Because it's satellite phone and and you know <laughs> Antarctica, you don't get the satellites phones are are less than uh, um, perfect. A little better of the equator. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know, but but uh, yeah. So so the line dropped and I, and I didn't get to hear what they what they were going to tell me about when I get there. But then as I looked at the coordinates for it, it's like oh hold it, this is like right in the middle of where all these crevasses are that I'm supposed to be avoiding. <laughs> and so, so I, I call them back up. It's like, can you give me those coordinates again? And they gave me the coordinates, and it was the same thing. And 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 they said, oh, and when you get there, do not head south from there because there are some big crevasses just south of where your your cache is. And so, don't say. <laughs> yeah. And so, so it was like way off course for me to go over to where they were. And and it was like in this place where the Sistrugi were, like you know, there was these. 13, 15 foot high sestrugi that I'm, I'm having to get go up and around and over to, to get through this kind of like a, a valley and then up this really steep uh, um, hill to get up to where this ridge where they that uh, left left the cache. And up as I'm going up the ridge, it's like it's just riddled with these uh, small crevasses. And and so I, going up that and and uh, it, it's kind of weird because I had this. Uh, Confident, uh, this feeling that everything was going to be okay. I'm, 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 I'm okay. You know, I, I'm gonna. I just knew I was, you know, internally just knew that I was going to survive this whole thing and I was going to make it. But yet, as I look at that, and and uh, and I was, I was uh, listening to music on my iPod, and the one song I had was uh, um, Russian Roulette by uh, by uh, er, uh, Rihanna, and and I'm listening to that, and and. She couldn't have written a better metaphor for what I was going through if she had tried to, and and uh, and that I I still to this day I cannot listen to that song without uh, just you know just overcoming um, with uh, the emotion and just you know just just as a very emotional song to, for me to listen to because you know it was this thing I just had to do. Um, I had no choice. I had to go through and, and, uh, you know, this could be the end. And, and, uh, and she's, she says, you know, I, I don't know if I'll ever see another sunrise. And I had gone almost two months with no sunrise, no sunset. And it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll never see another sunrise. And, and it's, it was very, that was very emotional for me. Um, yeah, I'll bet. Obviously, yeah. nothing really bad happened. I made it, <laughs> but that's going to stick with you. A whole day's worth of of uh, of travel towards the pole on that because it was, you know, um, to get to where it was and getting back uh, took took uh, about a day's worth of travel out of me. Yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, that would stick with me for sure. Well, I want to point out that you know, for people that think adventure sports are for the the twenty five year old, um, you turned fifty on this expedition, did you not? Yeah, I turned 50 like uh, two days or into uh, the into the expedition. That's cool. Well, that's, uh, and, that that says not, something for us, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm not the big athletic, you know, whatever type guy. I'm I'm your computer nerd type guy. Um, you know, I'm not. You know, in, in going out in high school, I was grade school. I was always not not like the last person. I was literally the last person picked to be on the team every time. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. Oh, that's awesome though. I, I, and so, you know, um, but the, the thing that, the point of that whole thing is, is that, you know, you can do these things. You, you don't have to be um, the, the quarterback hero to be able to go out and, and do these sports and enjoy it and have fun. Well, that's perfectly said. I mean, our show is all about 
inspiring people to get out there and get off the couch and do things, um, you know, maybe not necessarily go to Antarctica, you know, on a, on a mountain bike, but get out there and do something that, that fulfills your life and makes it, you know, gives it that value and provides the health at the same time. So I did want to bring that up and I'm not calling you an old man cause I'm not that far behind. Um, but I think it's awesome and inspirational that the fact that you turn 50 years old in the middle of this expedition says a lot, you know, about what it is we can do. Yeah, I, th I think so. Yeah. Very cool. So this took roughly 50 days, right? Yeah. 51 days. Okay. So did you build in rest breaks or how did that work? Um, when I started, so um, for religious <laughs> reasons, I would normally take Sundays off. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I started going, um, it's like, you know, I, I only have this much time and, and I just can't afford to, uh, to uh, not go every day. So my original, uh, the first uh, two Sundays, I actually um, tried to go, but I tried to say, I'm going to make it a little bit easier to try to you know, have a uh, keep the Sabbath day holy type uh, attitude. And so, you know, t try to take make it a little easier day and just take it easy. Uh, but the reality is, is there's no such thing as taking it easy in Antarctica. Yeah, and right. so so I, I failed miserably at being able to take it easy. And, mm -hmm. and both of those first two Sundays, I, I ended up just quitting early because they were just extremely difficult days. Um, the wind and uh, whiteout conditions on those first two were just, just too too uh, difficult. And so it's like, you know, I can't take it easy. So I, I just took the rest of the day off. And then um, every day, every Sunday after that, I just said, you know, I'm just, and part of it, you know, it's because I was now getting enough distance that I knew that I was going to be able to make it. And so I could afford to take those, those days off. And so I, I started taking Sundays off and, and I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't travel on Sundays. I'd just take them as a rest day. And uh, I, I'm, I swear those uh, the the rest of the Sundays were like the best traveling days of the, of the week and and I you know I just you know I committed to myself that that's what I was going to do is I was going to take those days off and and rest and and recover and so so I took Sundays off. Yeah, imagine you get to the point where you're just looking for that you're driving towards that reward. Yeah, um I I know the last week um you know Sunday took Sunday off and I think it was uh it might have been Monday or, or Tuesday, but by by the end of Monday or Tuesday, I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait until Sunday. <laughs> because, I, I mean, you know, just 13, 13 hours, sometimes I was doing 18, 20 hours a day um, on the bike and uh, and just putting that many hours in every day and just tired and, and just, you know, and just look forward to those those breaks <laughs> so yeah yeah it it, it got uh, you know it was, it was tough yeah i'll bet how did the the constant sunlight uh how did you deal with that you had to set an alarm to actually tell yourself to to stop riding right um yeah so i one of the things to, you have to do when you're doing this is is you've got a satellite phone and every day you have to call in to to ALE and tell them where you are where you are, how far you traveled, and and uh, and how long you traveled, and so so, so they they want that information. That where you are is very important because they're keeping track of where you are in case something happens and they have to come and find you. And so you have to. I have a scheduled time that I have to call them every day. And if you don't call in, then they will send out search and rescue to come and get you. And if it's not an emergency, then your insurance is not going to cover that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's going to be extremely expensive. And so, so it was very important to keep track of when the end of time to ride was and, and stop and set up the tent and, and, uh, whatever, as far as being able to tell what time it was, it's not that hard. I mean, you know, it's that time of day because, because the sun is, you know, it's traveling around in a circle. I'm headed South. So when the sun's sitting there at, uh, you know, like eight, eight o'clock, you know, position, the then, dial, then you call yeah. that's, that's a, uh, yeah, you know what time it is. And so, so cause the sun just starts in the morning, it would start on my left and it would just circle around behind me and then be on the right when I, when I'd quit. And so, but yeah, I, I had to keep track. I'd set a, I'd set an alarm and usually the problem, normally you don't want to sweat in, in Antarctica. So, so a lot of times you think about trying to keep warm in, in, I'm working so hard that really the problem is trying not to get too warm. 
And so, so the problem I had is I would, I would be sweating a lot because it's just impossible to go to keep, you know, to keep going fast enough to keep the bike from tipping over. There's a certain, a certain speed you have to go so that you don't tip over. And, and the amount of work it took to just stay upright was, was enough that I was just, I was just constantly getting wet with sweat, which is not a good thing. And so, um, typically what I would have to do is keep track of, and when I was going to quit for the day, I'd have to get off the bike and, uh, push my bike for that last hour of the day. Um, just, just so that the wind and stuff, so I'm keeping up enough, enough, uh, um, work. I'm working hard enough to, to keep from freezing to death, but, uh, um, bringing that level of work down enough that I can, I can have that wind blowing through and everything dry me off before I um, get in the tent. Because if my clothes are uh, wet again in the morning, then that's going to be really bad. Yeah, no doubt. And that's not something you would think about, you know, having to have a cool down and evaporation period at the end of a day's ride. That's not something you're going to go into this expedition thinking about, you know, it's just one of the things you have to learn. Yeah, it was something, something I definitely had to do. And so, so I had to, you know, um, I had to just that last hour of the day, I always had to, uh, get off the bike and, and push, um, and, and cool, get a little bit of a cool down. Yeah. Interesting. So you're nearly 750 miles, uh, 51 days, and you finally get to the point where you can see the end. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, the South pole is at 9,300 feet elevation and the, and the, it's, you know, the snow is going up and down and up and down these big, big valleys, basically of, uh, big bowls of, of you know, in and up and down. And so I'm, I'm watching the elevation on my, on my GPS kind of trying cause you know, I just want to get up to 9,300 feet to where I can stop having to climb over and over and over. And, and so I'm watching it and I'm watching the elevation go down. I'm getting all upset. At one point I got so upset with my GPS that it was saying I was going downhill. There's no way I'm going downhill. So I chucked it off across the ice. And, and of course, you know, that's not something you can continue on without. So I trudged out there and picked it up <laughs> right back. But, but, you know, it wasn't lying. I was going down, even though it seemed like that was too much work to be going downhill. And, and so, so I, I'm watching it going up and down and up and down. And then finally it got to, uh, where I hit 91, 92 and I hit 9,300 feet elevation. And, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm finally up here. And I look off into the distance and off in the distance, I could see these three dots. And I wasn't sure at first, are they Sistrugi? Or, you know, there's just something out there. Or is that the South Pole Station? Because there's a research center there. And and I'm, I wasn't sure. And so I'm kind of watching it at first. And and after a little bit, I, 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 I yep, that's it. I, I, and once I determined that that was really it, I mean, it was just this um, this uh, feeling so, so excited, so happy. I mean, it's just more the happiest thing that you could possibly imagine. It's just overcome with joy and happiness. I'm so happy. I can see it. I can see it. So I, so I get out my cell, my satellite phone and I uh, call up my wife and I say, I can see it. I can see the South pole. And, and, and she's like, what, what? And then the phone line dropped. Oh oh no. (laughs) And so I don't know if she, I I don't think she quite understood what I was saying, but, and, and the other thing was, is, you know, it's hard for me to say, I can see it. I can, you know, this is it because I was just crying and just, you know, just overcome with emotion because, because I was there, I I was going to be able to return back and be with my family. And, and I mean, you know, I, I, I had finally gotten there. The, The hard part about that was that was still like 13 miles away. And there's a big drop back down, a big bowl that you have to go back oh, down, man. clear clear down, and then back up. So I drop back down in, and and the South Pole all disappears when you get down into that that bowl, and and then you know go down in this thing, and then have to climb back up. But uh, um, you know it was there's there's just no way to describe how how wonderful it was to say, you know. I'm there. I've, I've accomplished. I'm, I'm, I'm going to return back and see my family and, and how awesome that was. Oh, I'll bet. What an amazing feeling. So was it the same day when you saw it 13 miles out? Was it the same well, day that you actually got to arrive at the, the South Pole? It would have probably been, I mean, so that last day, uh, I can, I look at my GPS records and it shows that it was 24 hours basically from the time I started 
that last push till I got to the South Pole. So I went 24 hours straight that last day, and it would have been about halfway, uh, maybe a little less than half. Well, about half. That, the, the last, the last part before you get to the South Pole, all the sistrugi disappear because it's the snow just starts getting soft. It doesn't, it doesn't pack together very well or anything, and so it gets really soft and difficult. And so that last, you know, the last 13 miles or so. Um, was almost um, entirely pushing the pushing the bike um, because it was just you know the the snow just had become soft and so it was slow travel I was I was going slow at that point so it, it took and the other thing was is as I at that point I'm I'm done I know I'm done and it's like it, as strange as it seems I, I'm I'm done and 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 I want to go home but it's like I'll never be here again I'll, th- this is an an amazing place. And this is this is the only time I'll ever be able to be here. And so I I, I stopped a lot and just kind of took things in and tried to tried to understand you know look and see what is up and what is down and and just just enjoy that last day. And so I, I stopped a lot and and just looked around and and I was going slow. And so so that last last uh, while took took a while, but you know it was it was a great time to just kind of reflect and and uh, just you know. I was done. And so I, I, I didn't have to worry too much. I knew I was going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet. Well, what I was blown away about was that there's actually a striped pole in the ground at the South pole. Yeah. Yeah. They have, there, there's actually two poles they have at the South pole. There's one that's actually where the South pole is. And it's just kind of like a stick in the ground with a, with an emblem on top. And then they have a striped pole with a uh, mirror on top. That's a little ways away from that. That's set up in front of the, with all the flags and the station and everything for for taking pictures, but the the spot that's the actual pole is kind of this this stick in the ground and the in in the snow and and the reason for that is is the south the ice is moving and so it moves I think about uh, thirty feet uh, a year and and so every every year they have to take that and reposition it where the south pole is. Wow, really? And so, so yeah, uh, that's cool. Well, I saw that because uh, you kept a blog about all this. So I wanted to point people to your blog uh, if they want to go read along as you experience this. So the blog, you can find at epicsouthpole.blogspot.com. And you also have your website, uh, epicbiking.com. Now, do you still have the bike shop? No, I closed the bike shop. Unfortunately, the bike shop, uh, I mean, my my problem, a lot of it, I think, is that uh, my my, – objective with the bike shop was more trying to get people out and active right. than it was trying to be uh, uh, a good businessman and so I, <laughs> yeah so I, I i wasn't i wasn't making money at the with the bike shop and uh and and uh, i was working a lot a lot it was it was time to uh it was time to close the bike shop and and uh and earn some money and i mean i got a i got a lot of debt between the bike shop and the expedition that i have to pay off so i am now working as a computer programmer again yeah i'm sure <laughs> go back to what you know right well i mean you had yeah, fun you had you did your expedition and you've uh, you've helped spread the message to people to uh, to get out and do this stuff so I, mean, I think you've done a lot to uh, to give back to society by doing that and you're also pushing the uh, american uh, Diabetes Association, uh, as well, from what I understand. Yeah, I, I um, have always helped with the the tour. The tour de cure is is a hundred mile bike ride that they do every year, and and I help with that. I I, I work, you know, do that, and so yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> diabetes has affected everybody, and and uh, you know, I've I've seen uh, people that. Uh, I've seen somebody die from uh, diabetes uh, right in front of me, and so so it's uh, something that uh, you know affects me personally, and so so it's something that I like to do what I can to help uh, help with that. Well, yeah, it's definitely an important thing to to pay attention to. Well, I also want to invite people. I'm going to put the link up to your book because you wrote a book about this, and I want people to uh, go check out the book. And hey, this guy had a, a great experience, a great expedition, but he's also you know has done it to 
introduce to people the idea that they too can get out there and take control of their lives and take their lives back and, and do these kind of things. So if you want to read a great story, go pick up his book. It is uh, South Pole Epic and it's by Daniel Burton. So I'll put the link into our show notes uh, so people can go find that book as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question would be, how has this changed your life? I mean, you're back to program, programming computers at this point, but this is a, this has got to be a major thing uh, to take down the road with you. So how has it changed you? Yeah, it, you know, it's something that I'll always have um, that uh, I was able to do that. It, it uh, helps. I mean, you, you hear all the time, you can do anything you want, anything you set your mind to, you can accomplish. And, and, uh, and sometimes it, you know, it just seems like a saying, right? But uh, for me, that that is now, um, you know, really true. If you really want to do something bad enough, and you put the work into it and do it, you can accomplish amazing things. And so, so it's uh, something that I can always draw back on. And say, you know, I can I can do these things that I want to do, and 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 it's been great that way. Um, I get to talk to great people like you. I. I, I I just got back from a trip to uh, from, to uh, China that uh, somebody wanted me to come out and talk to them. And so, you know, it's, it's given me a chance to uh, do some fun things be beyond that. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been great. Oh, absolutely. Well said. I, uh, I love that you came on and, and helped us spread the message that uh, adventure sports can uh, do wonderful things for your life. So I appreciate you taking the time and coming on our show to do the same. Yeah, thank you. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.